Hey everybody, welcome back to the Nuance Ho YouTube channel. My name is Kara Burrell. Sometimes I go by Nuance Ho and I run this podcast here called the Mormon History Hoedown. You might know me for, you know, funny TikToks or different takes on the Mormon to ex-Mormon journey, faith deconstruction, stuff like that. But there is a lot going on with Israel and Palestine right now. And I think that it is important to discuss things that I don't know if my audience would always be able to digest or investigate and I'm hoping to bring a nuanced perspective to this topic and go over it really thoroughly and in detail. I have a, a multi-part series starting with this episode right here and especially with my niche in talking about Mormonism specifically, I uh, come from a very like Zionist type Mormon family. My parents have been to Israel and my dad wears a kippah for some reason. <laughs> I have a viral video about that. I uh, wanted to start this episode first and foremost by talking about um, a lot of the different influences that uh, I, I grew up in and how those kind of influence the ways that we understand what is happening in the world. Uh, and when there's so much bloodshed going on, what uh, kind of things need to be deconstructed to be able to have a more objective view at the information that we're seeing. Another part in this series, I'm calling like decoding genocide, talking about history and definitions and cases because the things that are going down right now have such serious implications on uh, the world, the wars our country is involved in, could be involved in, what the history is, and giving people a lot better understanding of how propaganda um, in this conflict is used, sometimes on both sides, and just the portrayals from the media that sometimes are extremely biased and the reasons that they're biased and how we can, what kind of lenses, you know, kind of lines that we want to be able to read through. And then for another video, I also want to talk about uh, human rights directly related to the Israel-Palestine conflict. Given Somebody said to me that like, okay, I, you know, good luck. If I was to talk about that, it'd give me hives for a week. Don't worry. I've had uh, bouts of tremendous amounts of anxiety to make this video. So if you want to support this channel, it's super important to get reoccurring donors and you can find all the links down below to my donor box, my Venmo and my Patreon are all great ways to support this. There's also a good possibility that some of the stuff that we're talking about is so heavy that it um, could possibly get like a limited monetization. So I've worked really hard and read a lot of things and uh, put a lot of things together. So if you see that and appreciate it, um, throw your girl some change. I have a guest for today that is going to co-host this with me. I want to introduce um, my friend, Lindsay. Welcome to the program. Lindsay, thank you so much for doing this with me. If you don't know my pal over here at Socialisty awkward up oh, i said it wrong didn't i <laughs> it's unexpectedly hard to say i guess socialistly awkward socialistly awkward on instagram and tiktok and mm -hmm. she does amazing takes especially about like politics and things that relate to the ex-mormon community you've had some great um give people a rundown of like some of the topics that you cover Oh, um, ex-Mormonism, politics, a lot of Idaho politics. I break that down, try to add facts to the discussion a lot. There's a lot of misinformation going around, um, get people information about what resources there are, what rights we have, what rights we don't have anymore. Um, some national political stuff, 
I try to do it with humor and sarcasm. So that's, that's kind of what you can find on my channel. The Idaho nuance, I like to call her, yes. <laughs> but I just made up the name for you right now. <laughs> I had been thinking a lot about how I wanted to possibly do something for my YouTube channel and my podcast, kind of as the introduction to understanding what is going on in the world right now. And so much of the framework that I was given as a child growing up in Mormonism is around this concept of Zionism. And I loved the video that you did. And as somebody uh, who has deconstructed the Mormon faith, you know, you have too, right? So uh, yeah. I think we both share that kind of angle, have a very, very like nuanced approach of how I want to take this. So don't worry, you're so safe in my dirty commie hands right now. Just kidding. Anyway, uh, so uh, there's, I totally understand that this is a very, very heated topic. And you're talking about war and religion and promised land and when it relates to, when people are, you know, Mormon and, and people like my parents approaching subjects, like, yeah, approaching subjects like this, it's kind of just an already done deal of like who the good guys are and who the bad guys are and not understanding that, you know, multiple angles can be right at the same time. There can be multiple bad actors at the same time and everything and infusing a lot more nuance and understanding the wide scope of what history has taken place that, mm -hmm. you know, we can now judge and under try to understand as our country that has many, many a billions of tax dollars going to aid in Israel, what our kind of responsibilities are as voters and citizens to be educated on this. So with that being said, so take me through your concept of Zionism as you understood it and then how you deconstructed it. And then if you also can, what the response has been since you've kind of published videos on that. Yeah. So I probably like most people in your audience who are ex-Mormon or affiliated with Mormonism, I was raised very conservatively. I grew up listening to talk radio, Glenn Beck, Sean Hannity. Um, my dad worked construction and we would go help him on job sites and we would talk about all of these things. I'd hear about all of these things. And a topic we would have at the dinner table would be the last days. We talked about that all the time. That was a topic that came up a lot. And a, a feature of that was that the formation of the country of Israel is essential to Jesus being able to come back to earth again. And we would talk about the interplay within Mormonism between the temple in Jackson County that needed to be built and the temple in Jerusalem, the two Mormon prophets going to Israel and how everyone at that point would hate Jewish people or be fighting against them or fighting against the country of Israel, then these prophets would come and they would hold back the armies of the whole earth until one day they were killed, their bodies were paraded around the street for three days, and then they were resurrected in front of the whole world. And we would talk about this. We'd talk about, did we think this was happening soon? Who would the prophets be? How would we know? How would everybody, like these were conversations we were having when I was a small child. So this is something I always grew up with. Um, and my dad had a particular affinity for the country of Israel. Uh, he had a book about the Six Days War that I read all the time. I, I think the first time I read it, I was 10 or 11, which was probably totally inappropriate, but I was so interested in it. I was in middle school and I was really excited. I read that book probably 10 times and I loved it. And it, it was from a, a Mormon slant where we talk about how this was prophecy, this is what had been foretold. God had protected these people and had protected the country of Israel. And I wanted to know all the details about it. I, 
I loved things that reinforced my belief system. And I didn't realize it was Zionism. I thought it was, this is what God wants. And so I should know everything about it so that I'm prepared to usher in the second coming. And I, I want to actively be able to participate and know everything I can about it. That's kind of just who I am. And um, within Mormonism, there is an affinity for Jewish people. We we see them as kind of our co-house of Israel cousins, I guess, is a way to put it. And, you know, I, I would read about Judaism. I was really interested in it. And even at one point when I was like 14 or 15, I stopped eating bacon and pork because I was like, no, I think... Yeah. Like, I think Jewish people got that right. And I need to be living like a higher law. And I didn't like, I didn't eat bacon for like 10 years. And I, I thought yeah, it was my parents, like showing My up. dad yeah, also like, doesn't. Yeah. <laughs> and I, like in my zealous little teenage heart, I thought that was like, I'm showing affinity for my house of Israel cousins. And, you know, I think, you know, we're, I want to try to live the law like they do. And so that, that's how strongly I felt about this and how much I had just like really strongly supported Zionism and felt that, you know, and it was always framed like, well, the Holocaust happened. And so obviously they need a safe country with, mm -hmm. with infrastructure and, and a system that protects them because when they don't have that, the Holocaust happens. I think there's, you know, in your kind of Mormon brain versus when you become more nuanced, it's like, I know certain things for sure. Like the Holocaust, the, the Holocaust happened, you know, 6 million Jews were ruthlessly hunted down and murdered. There's some things that just are true across the board, religious or not. Then when you add in these perspectives that are so ingrained within Mormonism about the book of Mormon, that mm -hmm. Lehi and his family had to build this boat and leave Jerusalem. And there's a second promised land, which is the American covenant. That is, yeah. uh, the, the land of the United States is also set apart as the second holy land. Israel is one and the United States of America is one. And so this, your basic understanding is like the Jews had to leave their holy land and they came over here for a second land of inheritance. And so when the time is right after an, you know enough persecution and after they are righteous enough, the, the, the Mormon church will be able to build a temple and Jesus Christ is going to have a a throne in his American temple and also in his Israeli, Israeli, and also in his, uh, Israel Jerusalem? temple and Jerusalem. Yeah. yeah. And also in his Jerusalem temple. Thank you. And these things are like very matter of fact. So that was, that was my belief system growing up. I was very zealous about it. And in the TikTok I posted, I had a discussion with a friend who had at that point recently left Mormonism. And we were discussing, uh, it was 2011, I believe, or 2012, and we were discussing what was going on in Gaza and the West Bank and with, you know, Israeli government and what all was happening and discussing, you know, different aspects of it, different things that were happening in the Golan Heights at the time. And my friend said, well, Lindsay, people are dying. Like, Palestinians are, are being killed. Their homes are being taken. And like that has to factor into this discussion, their lack of power, their lack of even legal repercussion for what is happening for them, the lack of worldwide support for what is happening to them. They don't have that like Israel does with the U.S. And 
I thought it was being really um, clever or kind of like a ha, I'll nail you down. And this is you can't like, how could you even refute this? And I said, well, you know, you know how this ends. So so how can mm. you even say that? How can you even try to side with the Palestinian people? Because you know how this ends. And he was very gracious. He didn't have to be as gracious as he was, but he was very gracious about saying, are you serious right now? Like we're talking about people. Like we're actually talking about people dying and you just want to make a religious point. You want to make a political point about something that you religiously believe that right. probably has no bearing on these people who are losing their lives and access to their homes and their property. And at the time I felt really good about my position. Um, but as I left Mormonism, that was one of the things I started to deconstruct more and more and more was that how much of my belief system about that had been to uphold Mormonism and that the, the Zionism mm -hmm. that I upheld, I upheld it because it reinforced my belief system and reinforced this idea that I was right and that there would be geopolitical evidence that I was right and my political and my political and religious belief system were right. And that as I was deconstructing that religious belief, suddenly I was like, wait, maybe, maybe Zionism isn't it, or maybe this is much more nuanced than I thought. And maybe I need to take a much more, um, I guess nuance is the right word approach. I need to deconstruct this also and figure out what do I really believe or, or what do I really think is just and right and what, you know, where, where does empathy fall in this? And my, my belief system prior to that had been devoid of empathy for different groups involved in the conflict and, you know, actually looking at things, what is right and what is wrong and, and where are those lines? And, you know, just, it, it was all of a sudden a lot more complicated than I had grown up believing. Yeah, that's such a good summary. And so what was the response online as you were posting these types of things from from people from like all the different spectrums? What what kind of uh, what kind of comments were you getting? Owning who I was and explaining that process. I don't know if it's brave so much as I I people don't seem to understand Christian Zionism or Mormon Zionism. It's a very foreign concept I think if you weren't raised in it. If I wanted people to see how thoroughly that impacts every aspect of how you view things that happen geopolitically that you you can yeah. i could effectively ignore terrible things happening to children or things happening to uh, people and bombings of hospitals and people not having access to their homes anymore or their land or their ancestral lands and I was able to really just like, I know it's, I know it's from the Book of Mormon musical, but I was effectively able to just like turn that off that, that didn't have sway. And I know people brought up that they didn't understand why videos coming out and, you know, things coming out where we can see what, what this looks like for these people isn't swaying people. And, and I had, mm -hmm. I had seen some of those things my whole life. Like I had been aware about the Oslo conversations in 1994, I was little, but like that, that was a conversation I'd had with my family when I was a little older. And we, we talked about that. I'd seen things that had happened in Israel, in West Bank, in Gaza, and it didn't change my mind because you can effectively turn off your empathy, which 
is probably a coping mechanism or, or a way to just avoid that cognitive dissonance. And so I made a follow-up video talking about that, that when you, when you talk about those things and you're looking to develop that empathy or, or show that, that when you, when you need your belief system to be right, when you need your perspective to be right and your religion to be right, you can ignore a lot of things and turn off that empathy to perpetuate your belief system. And, and I know that that's something that ex-Mormons talk about a lot. And, and I wanted people to see that and see what that thought process looks like in practice, because that is something people have really expressed that they don't understand why their mom, dad, siblings, neighbor, coworker doesn't seem to express any empathy, even when they discuss exactly what's going on or see like these graphic, horrifying videos. And, and I wanted people to see how appeals to empathy don't always work if you're really committed to maintaining a specific belief system. I did have a lot of people call me out and say that taught my discussion about how I had gone from being a Zionist to no longer being a Zionist was anti-Semitic. Um, I had people say that I am as bad as a fascist. Um, I had people tell me they were unfollowing me because I'm anti-Semitic, you know, it, it was interesting to see all of the responses because there was just a whole, a whole range of, uh, from people being able to relate to it. I had a lot of ex-Mormons who were like, I actually didn't realize I was a Zionist, but now I watch this video and like, oh crap, that was something yeah. I hadn't deconstructed yet. That was something I hadn't thought of. So there was really a, a wide range of responses. That is really interesting. Part of the reason why I wanted to have you on and also get myself canceled for a bunch of different accusations or whatever being hurled at me. I feel like I want to go into the, my my sneak peek now of my yeah, documentary. Let's do it. I think we should go there. One thing that I want to explain as I introduce this topic of Zionism, I want to kind of put that on the shelf for a second and talk about this idea that I'll be getting into in depth in my documentary called The American Covenant with the Rod Meldrums and the Glenn Becks and the Tim Ballards of the world. And if you understand just even just like the microcosm of Mormon history in and of itself or American history and ideas about American exceptionalism and what needs to be done to fulfill the covenants God has laid out for his chosen people. And so in the Mormon worldview, America being a second chosen land in addition to Israel is an important thing to bring up because the Native Americans were allowed to be genocided and moved on the trail of tears because they were originally under covenant with God. The Native Americans that we know that are indigenous populations of the American continent today, those are actually Jews that sailed on a boat to the promised land. We're in a covenant with God. They messed it up. God turned his their skin dark. They are out of covenant, but this land is still a covenant land and it is like Mormon's responsibility to convert as many people to to Mormonism to bless this nation and that God will only smile on a nation if they are living up to their covenant. And so the things that they talk about are completely uh, in line with what they also believe about Israel is that Israel, now that the Jewish people are able to reside in, in Jerusalem and in that region, that that means that God is back in covenant with the uh, the Jewish people in that region of land, and that because 
the, the Mormon church was restored in America, that we are now, the, the Mormons are the ones who are in covenant with God to protect that land in America as well. Timothy Ballard, the name of the book, again, is The Covenant, available uh, everywhere. I went to some of the biggest scholars on American history, and I said, listen, I have a theory. I have a theory that we made a covenant, starting really with Columbus. Really, then again, it really took shape with the pilgrims. They honored that covenant. And George Washington and the founders made a covenant with God. It is the reason why we were founded, why we were protected, and why Israel was established. And we won't make it because now we've accomplished that one task. The question is now, are we over? Because I believe all the founders saw it, or do we renew the covenant? Every single one of them said, you, know, you won't be able to prove that. I hear about somebody who's working on the covenant, the founding fathers. You guys have got to get together with Tim Ballard because you won't believe what he's found. It's exactly the same thing. Senior apostle and one of the church's number one talker to God guys, M. Russell Ballard, became friends with Tim Ballard as well. Unbeknownst to them, endorsing a man who believed all the same things they did about how Mormonism is the answer to literally everything created a situation that was about to escalate. We better start living that covenant. All right, Tim Ballard, I'll bite. So what is this holy land that the ancient Native American Jews who baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, where, what land did they live on? What was their land of inheritance? Tallahassee, Florida. We know about promised lands. The Lord gave, Israel's a promised land. And, and Latter-day Saints would agree, it's a promised land. It's a defined place. There's borders and boundaries. So why would that rule not apply today to the covenant land? The ideas that I was raised with are very literal about promised lands. And everything about our country being founded is about staying in covenant with God. And it is very difficult to remove your beliefs about what our government does, whether that's militarily um, and getting involved in the Middle East and think that it it's really hard to think that it doesn't have anything to do with our our country being directed by God. I mean, I always think it's funny when Glenn Beck says that he has worked with historians because it's just David Barton. So it's a low bar for historians, but no, I, I think the, I think the point you're making is accurate that I don't, from, from the TikTok I made, I don't think people fully understand how literal this is for Mormon Zionists and Christian Zionists. This isn't like a nebulous idea. This isn't um, like a theory or, or something that it's like, oh, it kind of like, it is integral into decisions we make, positions we take, who we vote for. Yeah. And especially when the ideas that are already ingrained in us as Mormons is that in the end times, there's going to be wars and rumors of wars. Mm -hmm. And if, you know, my post-Mormon attitude towards wars and anyone needing to go to fight for something is the the best cause possible, the most just cause possible, the fewest casualties possible. That is not the framework that I was given kind of within Mormonism. It's yeah. like there's light and there's darkness. There's good and there's bad, especially in like that post 9-11 world. It's like people from this entire region, they believe in a different God than us. And that God influences them and just have these giant sweeping statements about Muslims and that's that's not what yes. anyone should be able no one no one should be able to to say that because wars are supposed to be happening then we can kind of vote for policies and turn a blind eye to things that cause unnecessary casualties just to bring about the end of times that is prophesied in the religion itself because yes. it's usually somebody else it's always somebody else on the other side of the world that that war they need to go die in 
that 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 is that is the ends to the means of your God bringing Jesus Christ back. But if you're the one where your family is getting bombed and the wars that they're talking about are in your Provo, Utah residence, that wakes you up a lot differently. It's just people are very far removed from what it means to uh, to to hold so tightly to ideas that should be a lot more flexible. Exactly. Well, and I even think too, um, like a slight pivot, but a related pivot. I don't think people understand fully how um, coming from this Mormon background, but I don't think it's just Mormonism. I think this can be within a lot of religious groups, how you are conditioned to justify death. And like specifically from the Book of Mormon, when Laban gets killed and the, the rhetoric is, well, it's better for one man to perish than an, enti- an entire nation to dwindle and perish in unbelief. Sorry, I've been out for like almost a decade. I I don't remember if I'm quoting it right. But or, or this idea that in the Americas, and this is also within the Bible, that God would allow entire cities or entire groups of people to be killed, man, woman and child. and Um, They they talk about pregnant women being killed in the Book of Mormon, and it's justified by saying, well, they were unrighteous. And so the kindest thing that could be done is them to be killed so that they can accept Christ in the next life. And so we were conditioned, like looking at that now, that's horrifying that from, from being a child, a really young child reading this scripture, I was conditioned that death of your enemies is okay. And, and even is desirable because then they can repent. Like, it's fine. It's it's not like life ends for them. They just will continue on in another sphere where they can accept Christ. And so it's not like the worst thing that can happen to them, especially if they were allowed to keep living and living this very sinful life or rebelling against God, then the most merciful thing to do would be to kill them. And now, like even me saying that, I'm horrified and disgusted, but that was something I really believed. That was something that I thought was real. And I, I look at how I view the world post 9-11, and I was a teenager, but that very much influenced my belief system. And I heard adults around me saying things like, well, it's okay if they die. The, this group of people, this group of particularly Arab and Muslim people, that it was okay if they died because men, women, and children, because then in the next life they could accept Christ. And they had fought against God's people. And I'm just, I'm honestly like just horrified even just saying that, that, that I believe that and use that as justification for things that happened. Mm -hmm. I think so much of what we're seeing right now in the uh, conflict over there in old Palestine, Israel is really waking me up to things that I ignored while being Mormon and kind of assuming that like might is right. And you know, the, be- the, the, the country with the best army wins and like America is number one. Again, this is the covenant land and not really questioning uh, the military interactions of our country. I also just want to add one additional framework. So while religion, yes, is a motivating factor, in establishing the state of Israel, I still think that we can't ignore the heavy economic influences. And if you think about the region of the Mediterranean, the trade routes and the Roman empire, uh, the amount of resources that are available there. And people have always wanted to control that re- that that region 
for religious purposes or non-religious purposes. And so um, while uh, the, the anti-Jewish sentiments were developing before even the Holocaust, right, you had the British wanting to to, to colonize and move people there to control that region. And that in alignment with the emergence of Zionism um, pre-World War II and post-World War II, um, the, the, the Jewish people needed protection. And it was also just very convenient for the British to move the Zionist settlers to the, uh, to the, the British Palestinian mandate. And so you have the, the British taking advantage of the the religious inclinations and the bigotry that was so persistent at the time, right? And so uh, with the Nakba and with the Israeli settlers coming in and forcing 70% of Palestinians off of their land, um, what, killing millions, displacing? 15,000, 15,000 at least during the Nakba. Right. And so the, the British, we have to zoom this out and think about this in terms of imperialism and how countries will utilize uh, whatever they have of the, think about literally every country that's ever been colonized, Western and British imperialist powers, plus the seeking of this Zionist protection. And they viewed the Zionists and the the Jews of Europe as more uh, capable of protecting their economic interests than the native Arab Palestinians. And so you have in the, the 1960s, the United States takes over from Britain a lot more to to fund Israel and the United States being such a funder of Israel because it will protect our interests. And it has a lot more than just the religious lens to look through, right? And so with the settlers coming in and taking up more and more of the land, this has always been uh, the plan from day one, obviously. It's a total misunderstanding of history. If you you believe that the US supports Israel, just because it likes Jews, but dislikes Muslims, because we have plenty of evidence to tell us that when it serves their economic interests, the U.S. will literally support radical jihadi groups. You know what I mean? So like the fact that they've done that and they've they've propped up Osama bin Laden when he was supposed to be a freedom fighter um, fighting the Soviet Union, right? Saddam Hussein. Yeah, yeah. And so it really makes no difference in the US, if you're Christian or Muslim or atheist or whatever, it's that like, if you back the financial interests of, you know, the powers that be, when those resources that are on the line are expensive and highly profitable, like oil. So I think it's just important to note that, that yes, there's going to be religious conflicts between people claiming land and saying that they have the right God and have have bigotry flip flying all around. That's kind of the conversation that we're used to having. But I think it's more interesting to when, when Biden says things like the America will always protect Israel because protecting Israel and protecting America's economic interests in that region of the world is more important to them than protecting the lives of innocent civilians. So that's why we're kind of seeing so much of the bloodshed that we're seeing at exponential rates that we didn't see before. And one example would be like, we've been in uh, helping Ukraine in fight against uh, the war with Russia and the ways that you can see our policymakers and our country talk about the atrocities of the Russian government against the Ukrainian people when the casualties 
from the conflict and that has started just what we're at the the just in the last couple of weeks since um, October seventh, the casualties of the Palestinian people are one hundred times worse uh, uh, and at a, an, uh, in, uh, happening at an exponentially faster and higher rate. But the ways that we even talk about it, because our our interests lie in uh, our economic interests lie in aligning with certain governments. I'll say when the interests of communities all around the world and different populations are at odds with Western powers and imperialist powers and what their pursuits are, you're going to see conflict and you will understand better why we turn a blind eye for not just the religious reasons, but also, um, you know, Western companies seeking to use religion and already kind of tribal warfare that's existed in the re region for their benefit for oil, labor, and so forth. Oh, 100%. And I, I have seen a lot of people say like, well, this is why I hate religion, or this is why religion is so problematic, which is a discussion we can have, but I think is a very kind of simplistic view on what is happening, or it, it it's discussing one aspect of it, Mm -hmm. ignoring all of the other components of what is going on, that it's really easy to then just say like, I hate religion without really delving into what is going on. Um, something else just to like slightly go back a little bit. Um, I think something that doesn't get brought up enough is that after World War II, we kind of act like like creating the country of Israel was because we were so kind and so benevolent and really just like trying to make up for World War II. When let's be really clear, Europe didn't atone for what happened in World War II. They didn't give people their houses back or their businesses back. They, they didn't get to go back to their communities. They were invited to have a like go halfway across the world because it, it wasn't like suddenly there wasn't anti-Semitism in Europe. It's not like people's minds were suddenly changed. They still didn't want Jewish people in their countries or on their continent. They just didn't want to have to face what had happened. Like it, we act like this was benevolent. Benevolence would have been, here's your house back. Here's your property back. Here's your art back. Here's your business back. And that's not what happened. We were like, how about you can go over here and fight and colonize indigenous people because like yeah we, like we're like see we're your friends because we're gonna support you in doing that and and we don't talk about the fact that this this wasn't benevolent this wasn't something that like it economic like you said it economically benefited us and then we could you know kind of portray to the world like look at how look how kind we are look at how we're sticking up for them when we didn't stick up for them during world war ii we didn't stick up for them during the Holocaust. No, nobody stood up. Nobody stuck up for them. And then afterwards, we were like, how about you go over there? How about you just live over there now? And I think that's we like to comfort ourselves by thinking like we supported them. And, you know, we, we sent them back to that mm -hmm. land because we really supported them when that that's not the reality. That's not what really happened. That, that wasn't why it, it wasn't the fact that we were trying to make up for what had happened. It benefited us economically. It gave us a foothold 
field in that region that was, like you said, notorious for issues and conflict and unrest. And it it gave us an ally that in some ways was beholden to us. And I, I think that's part of the discussion that doesn't always get brought up and definitely wasn't something I thought when I was a Zionist. I was like, oh my gosh, we were so kind, which wasn't real. Yeah. And also just want to put this that out there is I completely understand how much this conflict as it has risen right now that there are stupid, bigoted people out there in the world who attribute so many sweeping who who attribute certain things to certain groups and have very small minded thinking. And there's been a rise in, you know, hate crimes from anti-Semitism attacks and also people who are Islamophobic. And I've heard lots of stories and lots of videos of people, you know, in both types of camps um, feeling really unsafe right now. And that's just, again, what I would say is another unfortunate fallout of not just, you know, religious differences are one thing. So many countries, people can live in peace with these religious divides. But when you're at war now with each other, my beliefs that I, when I talk about Mormonism are very much rooted in all of the same things. I can't describe it. It's just about power and dynamics and when there's misunderstandings and when you can use indoctrination to breed a type of bigotry that will be able to carry out some people, they contain a small percentage of the wealth. You could call them the 1%. Everyone in the listening is like, okay, Bernie Sanders. All I'm saying is that there have always existed powers that be that can use the bigotry in different societies and utilize that for their economic benefit. It's just taking taking the mask off and sometimes really seeing what the story is about instead of the the surface level of kind of what our standing is about. Because there are powers that be that don't want us to think bigger about who are the puppet masters who are controlling the situation. And this is the time in which there's so much bloodshed. There's so many children and screaming families buried in rubble and people being gunned down in the streets, taken from their beds on both sides, the most horrible atrocities that are happening. And to blame it on just, you know, one thing or one idea or one thing, I think is just too simplistic for the devastation of this conflict and the broader topics that need to be discussed. I said war, huh? Good God, y'all. What is it good for? Absolutely nothing. Say it again. Well, the Idaho nuance ho, Lindsay, thank you for my, <laughs> my Idaho alter ego there on TikTok talking about all the things that are adjacent to the nuance ho subjects that are so fascinating and interesting to me. You are such a bevy of knowledge. Thank you so much for thank sharing you. everything. Audience of mine, please throw some some love Lindsay's way for um, spending so many hours with me to create this series. So this has been uh, an illuminating discussion and I'm so grateful yeah. that uh, I was able to have it with you of all people. Somebody I found yeah, my for you page and said, she's got the right stuff. <laughs> well, thank <laughs> you for having me, me on. I think I need this. a t-shirt. I think I need a shirt now that says bevy of knowledge. So mm, I thought you were going to say happen. Idaho nuance. Ho. Is that? Yeah. <laughs> I could sell one to so many fans in Idaho. I'd be rich. <laughs> Idaho. All dozen of us. How dare you? All dozen. Dozen. I meant dozens. I meant I meant it as a. That is not any better, Lindsay. I have at least 
30 fans in Idaho. Believe you me, there, there are apostates across BYU Idaho right now watching this video saying we feel misunderstood. Anyway, Lindsay, you're the best. Go get some rest. Um, may you be blessed. Thank you. <laughs> All right. All right. Bye. Yeah.